Hello, I'm Catherine, and you're listening to The Thoughtful Runner. What makes you feel welcome in a strange place? How do you find home when you're on the move a lot? And how can we be nomads and still feel welcome? Hello from beside a crackling fire. I'm drinking G&T and toasting my feet. I look like that old man from the fast show. At the moment, it seems each festive December day is competing to be the coldest of winter so far. Although we're not terribly far into winter, it's always nice to make a bold statement like that. I went up a tower block in London the other day and looked across the peculiar sky that always accompanies snow. Sort of pink, sort of blue, sort of nothing. As usual, I was moved to marvel at the beauty of our capital city's skyline. Those bluish skyscrapers against the muted yellows, browns and pinks. What magic. Last week I had a small tantrum with my headphones cable when my hands got all cold and tangled up and numb. And although my running top collects a little pocket of freezing air around my neck when the hood is up, ooh, and the slick black ice makes your life flash before your eyes with every step, I still believe the grimness of winter is, for the most part, a state of mind. And whilst my state of being is in between homes, I've had the fortune to see plenty of our wintry, festive, magical nation of late. I've been staying with family members and travelling quite a bit on my own, with friends or to see friends, for work or just for my own stubborn entertainment, and although I consistently wake in the mornings feeling very confused, it's a small price to pay for the undeniable delight of new running locations across the UK. I do painfully miss the regal streets of Bloomsbury, Regent's Park, Clerkenwell and Camden. I feel their loss like an old friend. I feel it like the loss of a person. But as my working life resumes, I find myself passing through them, if not inhabiting them, in the same way once again. So a change of scene is quite nice. Maybe I take them for granted, even less. But rather than reflecting on the loss of a familiar landscape, today I want to talk about how surprisingly welcoming an unfamiliar one can be. Recently, I ran a 10-mile route around my hometown, an adjacent village, my hometown again, another adjacent village, and then my hometown again. I passed lots of old ladies who smiled at me and said hello, just because that's what people do in nice villages. On my way home down the hill, a lady walking up stopped and hailed me, laughing, because she seen me pass in the first village and said, she said to me, I know I'm getting old now, in the time it's taken you to go around, I've only just got up this hill. It felt really nice to be recognised. I, too, had noticed the same figures on their dog walks and routes as I did my circuits of the place. It doesn't often happen in central London, where it's quite easy to be anonymous. Then I went to York, somewhere I'd meant to go to for so long and only just found the excuse to now I'm single on my own free agent. What a beautiful city. To go there alone, so recently post-breakup, was slightly mad, but... After I'd spent my first afternoon sobbing my way around a Norman Tower, an art gallery, two museums, an internationally renowned cathedral, bridges, gardens, snickleways, and the boozal of M&S food, I was ready to take in the city from a runner's perspective, and it didn't disappoint. There is a slippery route to be taken around the wall of the city. Whereas it's not the original Roman wall, this imposing boundary quite closely follows the original route and permits a view not only of this historically layered metropolis, but the surrounding environs. One challenge I face when filming a running route for my website, runviewer.co.uk, is the very British embarrassment of using technology in a beautiful location. There's usually an unspoken suggestion that technology, 
be it smartphones, cameras, whatever, detracts from the appreciation of a fine historical landscape. People frown. And yet nobody scowled in York. Indeed, I passed another photographer, probably also hung over at 8am, tripod pointed towards Yorkminster, and he was most jovial. This was a city of warm people, proud of their heartland, and packed with visitors with whom they were just glad to share. Rush Hour York didn't bat an eyelid at my techie morning run. In fact, I spent quite a lot of my trip eavesdropping on the conversations of strangers and found that most people seemed to be there for the same reasons as I, to appreciate the goddamn loveliness of the city, nestled in our majestic northern landscape. One day I went out to Castle Howard and explored the estate of this remarkable English Baroque mansion. I met very few other people, except for a tractor driver who waved to me. Oh, and a pair of lovely Chinese tourists who also were caught out by the seasonal bus timetable. Oh, and the lady in the cake shop who let me charge my phone. Hmm, you wouldn't get that in London, would you? That's what I thought. But then perhaps I would never ask in London. I went for dinner one night and the waitress made me a special little table for one. I went to a wine bar and the sommelier brought me little samples of food and tasters of all his favourite reds as a matter of course. Quite why all this felt so good, I don't know, but I suppose I'm rather used to experiencing the city from a solitary perspective, especially as a Londoner. So I was high as a kite on how welcoming everything was. In the past month, work has taken me to Birkenhead to meet soap factory workers and a brilliant park ranger. I've met the allotment society of a tiny village in Wiltshire and wandered one of our nation's greatest castles with its collections manager. Oh, and gone along the freezing Brighton coast. What a vast privilege it has been to meet people so in love with their places that they want to share everything they know with a perfect stranger. What a welcome. How at home you can feel with the smallest conversation, be it in the pub over a packet of crisps, on the bus, or at the railway station remarking on the weather. And we're in conversation with our locations all the time, aren't we? Even when there are no words to say or no one to hear them, you can read the landscape and it speaks back to you be it the line of a trees or the curve of a path, the way the river flows, the sheep graze or the rabbit scuts flash along the bank. There are signs everywhere guiding you along your way, talking to you, taking you where you need to go. And there's something in every new location to invite or welcome you, if you look for it. This weekend I ran 14 miles cross-country in Sussex. I took a route I'd never walked or run before in my life and went deep into the woodland and mystery of the Vale. But there, alongside me all the way, was the River Ouse. On a freezing, snowy Sunday, it galloped through the landscape with no regard for the obstacles in its path. The land around it was sodden, my shoes filled with water, but it was with such delight that I came upon this familiar bridge and was instantly recalled to a geography field trip some 18 years ago, where I'd stood in this river one day in early summer to record the pond life and water flow and just revelled in being outdoors. On that Sunday, a man stood on the bridge, battling the wind to pull on his gloves whilst his terrier danced in mad, impatient circles around us. We shared a comment about the weather and the dramatic crashing waters. And when I returned home from my run and sunk into a hot bath, it occurred to me that this river had been present, a constant surging headstrong force my entire life. It has given me water to drink and water to bathe in. It has taken the rain that falls and everything that filters through this landscape and swilled it away to somewhere else where a stranger sits watching, a stranger that could just as easily be me on any other day or time. What I mean to say is we're all connected by the places we are in. Our landscape and location, however unfamiliar, is an immediate shared language between inhabitants, temporary or otherwise. My friend Kirsty drove us to Canterbury, as if I hadn't seen enough cathedrals. 
the city was bursting with pride at its own festive loveliness. We walked along the great Stour and the High Street, whereupon a stranger immediately invited us to an impromptu Amdram performance in the afternoon. We went along with it, and found ourselves seated in the Gothic refectory of a medieval pilgrim's hospital, overlooked by a magnificent 14th-century mural. What an invitation to accept! What a space to find ourselves in! It totally made up for the Amdram element. The following weekend took me to Nottingham, where, as a homesick student over a decade ago, pre-2G, 3G or any sort of internet on the move, I felt quite deeply disconnected from landscape and layout. Searching for my friend's house, not that far from our old student dig heartlands, I got so incredibly lost you'd have thought I'd never visited before. In truth, this was the first time I'd ever thought about which way north was in that city. What an entirely different city it became when I asked those questions when I dined and ate like a local, and observed the warmth of the volunteers in the non-profit cafe, with the understanding that they earned their living when they weren't bringing me coffee and eggs. I love being a stranger. I love to walk and run through other people's every day. Because in the same way I now long for my lost home in London, I know now that I can truly value its meaning and beauty as a place. At last I can see my city through the eyes of the tourists I've tiptoed around or jostled to pass in rush hour, and I'll never undersell it now. And unsurprisingly, the things I miss most keenly are the small interactions that make that place so meaningful. The place I sometimes stood to wave when my boyfriend left the flat. Not that he ever looked back up. The corner where I would give the same homeless lady a banana, the girl in the co-op who always made small talk and once thanked me for smiling at her the man in the framing shop, who always had a furrowed brow, but once admired my painting. I'm mourning them all. But on the flip side, I'm treasuring the things that connect me to every new place I can go now. A new location may be strange, but a simple conversation opens new locations to strangers. Perhaps when we're younger, or less forced out of our comfort zones by necessity, we're also less able to connect with others over the small things. The conclusion of this episode is to reassert something all runners know, that the willingness to adventure is often not the willingness to get lost, but to explore, understand, and know that the bit of us that connects us to the lives of others in a strange land is the part that will always be made welcome, and will find a home.